Welcome to the Work Research Revolution. I'm your host, Cara DeLunga. In this podcast, I speak to doctors, scientists, professors, and business leaders who are at the leading edge of this work research revolution and radically changing the way we work. We will be harnessing their collective insight so that we can create the catalyst that drives much needed change in the future of work around the world. Work Reset Revolution is brought to you by Softer Success. Visit www.softersuccess.com to learn how you can revolutionize your well-being plan and help eradicate burnout in your organization. So let's get to today's episode. Welcome to the Work Reset Revolution. And today I'm here with Graham Cook, who's the founder and CEO of Qubit, which is now Coveo, which he successfully sold at the end of last year. Welcome, Graham. Hi, Cara. Great to be here. And it's so great to have you here. And we're ex-colleagues as well. We used to work together. So it's a lot of fun to have you on the podcast today. I'd like to start by asking you the first question, really, which is what do you see in your observations of what are the biggest challenges that workplaces are seeing at the moment? So I think, I mean, the biggest challenge I'm sort of universally seeing across the board is the is the trying to readjust from the complete work from home to the work flexibility or be back in the office for a certain amount of days. I mean, we've seen some sort of massive range here of extremes where some companies are forcing their employees back almost every day in certain sectors. Some companies are not clearly defining a policy at all. Some companies are leaving it to managers to make the decision. I think all of that was already quite hard before we all went into this pure work from home era. And now I think it's actually really complicated and confusing. And that is uh, a challenge for people. Yeah, it's a real challenge getting back into that. Well, I mean, a lot of people just don't know where they're at sometimes, right? <laughs> Especially if businesses yeah. are mandating employees to come back into the office and others have left it more flexible. So what do you think would help in tackling that? I mean, the primary issue is that everybody's trying to do their job and do the work that they find meaningful and they get paid for it. They enjoy it, ideally. And they produce something that's valuable for the world. And when you operate in this sort of confusion, it sort of holds you back from what you really want to be doing. So it's sort of almost a unnecessary complication. I mean, one of the things that we did a lot throughout the last couple of years at Qubit was really trying to, we were very much a work from the office culture prior to lockdown. So we had a lot of people coming in every day. And the expectation was that you came in, you collaborated with your teammates, and that was the best way of working. We still had flexibility around a lot of things around holidays. And if people needed to work from somewhere for a longer period of time, we we were quite good and flexible about that. But I think it was a pretty eye-opening experience, the change. And we spent a lot of time asking people, you know, how would you like to work and kind of understanding that. And what it came down to was everybody needs to have that personal connection get together some of the time. And we also saw in another extreme where some, usually they were parents, they needed to be at home more and that was a benefit to be at home more with the family. And then on the other end of the scale, people had just started their jobs, just entering the workforce, found it very isolating. 
and quite hard to be working from home on their own. So we really try to figure out how to sort of address the sort of extremes there as we started to go back into the office. And what we started to do was create a way of people agreeing on the days that they'd all come together. And we said, do you want a week every month or do you want a day a week or two days a week? And we sort of really figured it out and polled everybody. Every company's different. Every company has a different way of doing things. And it, every company does, yeah. you know, the ways of working are different. And that's what you've got to figure out. You've got to figure out what makes sense, but then you've got to set that and set that standard with your team. So it's about the flexibility and autonomy, really, isn't it? At the end of the day, it is. I mean, at the end of the day, everybody wants to be treated with respect and work in a way that gets the best productivity out of them. And, you know, it's going to be different for people, different for teams, and different for the type of company you're part of. And that is a very hard thing to get right. But the companies that get that right are going to have the most effective workforces Everybody's going to be most energized from that flexibility. I think the greatest sort of competition will come from the companies that can really get that culturally right. Absolutely. And, you know, I was having a conversation with my interns the other day, and I'm just fascinated to sort of hear again what our future generations are wanting from work. I'm always asking that. And flexibility, autonomy comes up a lot. And Mm. almost a kind of self-navigation amongst teams Right, so flatter organizations, what comes up quite a bit and really respecting that we all work differently. So that's a tricky one, as you say, for cultures to get right. So making sure that well-being is the first and foremost for people and then allowing them, therefore, to work sustainably, right, to be sustainably productive. Mm-hmm. So thank you about that. Well, I want to ask you about your new book is out, isn't it? Yes. Well, it's officially out November the 10th. November. Yeah. So starting to talk about it now, starting to get people excited about it. It's called Web3, The End of Business as Usual. And it is a book about the next generation of the internet and what it means for how we'll work, actually. It's a book on business strategy, product strategy, and culture. It's not a book on tech and cryptocurrencies like a lot of other authors have covered already. Yeah. So tell me a little bit, what made you want to write a book and how it will help people? I guess when you are passionate about a subject and you find yourself having the same conversation with many different people on quite a regular basis about that topic, it usually is quite a good candidate for a book. And I found that a couple of times before in my career, I was passionate about big data, talking about a lot, got asked to write a book on big data, passionate about AI and talked a lot about AI and its influence on culture, was asked to write a book. Unfortunately, never had the time to do it. And this time I've been talking a lot about Web3 and what Web2 and Web1 is on that journey and what it means in terms of how we'll be working, how we will be coming together to create things. And I found myself discussing that so frequently and people found it very interesting at all levels. And so the book is really covering, I think the primary concept is that the last 30 years of the internet, which would be web one and web two, have completely changed the way we have accessed things. So whether you are booking a flight or ordering a taxi or ordering food or sending a message, it changes the way we're accessing things. What web three and eventually web four is going to do is change the way we create things. 
And it's going to be as disruptive to the acts as we have seen in access and demand. It's going to be as disruptive in the next 10 to 20 years on the supply side. And so we're going to completely change the way we even come together to do work and what it means to do work. I think even the concept of a company as we've set them up to be today will change and there'll be new structures and new ways for people to cooperate. So the book really looks at all that, looks at what's happening now as emerging trends and it extends it out all the way for the next 10 to 20 years, what that could mean. So that's absolutely fascinating. And I couldn't agree more is like we will, we're on this precipice at the moment of even though it seems like really uncertain for a lot of people and there is a lot of fear out there and our things, but it's the perfect moment for us to create change, for us to do things differently, you know, and it's clear that some ways of working are not working properly. So we need to do, you know, start reimagining it and rethinking that. So we've just finished some research with King's College London on why well-being needs to be a business goal and needs to be fully incorporated in in organizations as a, you know, even to a contractual level in a way that there's organizations all looking Mm. after their employees to the utmost level because we know each other and I just wanted to ask you you know I know when you speak openly about this when you were scaling up Qubit you shared openly how you felt with the company I'd just love to hear a little bit Mm. more about that and what you did and the response to that yeah I mean first of all I actually participated in your research and in this King's College research I I, I, it's fascinating and it's a critical thing to look at because I'm also a big believer in personally experiencing this, but in the need to make well-being a business goal. It should be an, you know, a core OKR of the company to ensure that the people are actually in the right place and motivated and purpose-driven to do the job. And it matters from the perspective of who you hire and how you hire all the way through to how you foster the right culture and foster the right environment through to the, how people, you know, even leave and you manage the alumni of, of your company. I mean, it's, it's an enormous responsibility. I learned it firsthand. I think when I started Cuba, it was all about ambition. It was raw ambition. It was work hard. We have a big mission to achieve here we are going to make a lot of money and be very successful. And it was sort of all driven on that sort of raw like ambition and sort of to some extent maybe greed as well. But it was really very hard to, I guess, run a company for a marathon on that mentality. And so what I found a couple of years in, maybe three to five years in, is it was just this treadmill of constantly running and trying to measure targets and revenue and sales goals and fundraising and how many new employees did we have. And there's a framework that I worked on with Alan Watkins, which is called I, we, it. And it was, you know, how much of your business are you managing on the I, you know, how do you bring yourself to the business? How much of the business are you managing on the we, we together? And how much of the business are you managing on the it? And most companies are like 95% it. It's all about our customers, our goals, our objectives. And it's only 5% on the we or the I. 
And what I realized is we were so out of balance on the I, we, it framework that we needed to think more about who we are and what our purpose is and what our culture is. And I mean, Reed Hastings, it's an overquoted concept, but culture eats strategy for breakfast. And when you can get culture and you can get all that right, it's so much more effective than the it and the strategy. And so in the second half of Qubit from about 2015, I'd say, 2016, we started to realize how critical it was to make that shift and really build that into our core. And it was pretty transformational. We ended up having to do some pretty tough decisions. We had to reduce significantly our costs in the business. And what we were left with was a very strong core who, in the end of the day, were able to do as much output and go for the marathon as much as, you know, we had with three times more people prior. But I still think we were, you know, far from getting it perfect. Like, it's a hard thing to do, and it's a critical investment to make. Yeah, so thank you so much for sharing that. And I, we, it, <laughs> super important. So just final question. What does a work reset revolution look like to you? So I think there's two parts to it. I think, and they're complementary. So I think in the first part, it's about finding personal purpose in what you do. I think if you can foster a company of people that are driven by personal purpose in what they're doing collectively, you find boundless energy and motivation and that energy keeps you far from the burnout and you're in the right sort of harmony. If you can build that and help people find that, I think in many cases I had to do it as well. I think you have to go through a method of actually discovering what your purpose is in the first place. And, you know, it's hard to build a culture of motivated people with personal purpose if you don't even know what your own personal purpose is in the first place in the yeah. founding of the company. So I think figuring that out is sort of a critical step and you can do it into a company's journey, you can figure it out, or you could do it from the beginning. And then I think we're also, in terms of a revolution, I do think we're, you know, big picture, I think we're at the end of a 10,000 year cycle. I mean, I look at this on an extremely long time frame of 10,000 years. But you know, if we look back, you know, we kind of came out of the first settlements and the first towns and the first farming and we've kind of evolved that all the way through the industrial, you know, feudal system, democracy, all the way into this sort of industrial revolution. And I think what a lot of business, and I talk about this third part of my book, but I think a lot of business today is based on a model of the industrial revolution and the end of this 10,000 year journey. And actually what we're really in today as of you know the year 2000, let's say, is we're really in the very beginning of the next 10,000 year journey, which is a completely information age driven journey. And you know the way we work within that is gonna be completely different to the structure of the previous 10,000 year journey. I look at this as a innovator's dilemma S-curve. And so it's starting to think about what that being at the foothills of the next major, you know, 100 to 1,000 year way of working looks like rather than the last 10,000. And that, I think, is part of the revolution, is looking at it from that completely different time perspective. I love that. And, you know, what are we bringing our next 7, 10, 15 generations, basically, and more 
And I think that future outlook is fantastic. We can't go back. You know, we need it. Like, it's so important to move forward. My vision is, you know, we'll be known as the greatest discoverers and innovators of our time. Like, there are even parts of the ocean that we haven't discovered yet. And we're on the cusp of discovering that the same mm. with, you know, where can we extract more of the Earth's energy to help us with our renewables? It's all, I think it's all really exciting. And if we can help, you know, people can start looking at that in a way of we're on the cusp of this, you know, next stage. I think it will also help a lot of people. So thank you for sharing that. Very inspiring. Really enjoyed talking to you today, Graham. I know that listeners will love this as well. So thank you. Likewise. Thanks, Oscar. Great to catch up. Thank you for listening to the Work Reset Revolution. I'd like to know what has been your biggest takeaway from this conversation. As a next step, share this episode with anyone that you think may benefit. Follow us on LinkedIn at Softer Success for more inspiration to change the way we work and contact us at info at to find out more about our burnout assessment tool. If you have any feedback on how to improve, please do reach out to me as I'm always keen to learn more. Thank you so much for listening and we'll meet again on the next episode of Work Reset Revolution. Thank you.